0: If I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture, which comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 12, and then I'll read uh, chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law, Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them, so get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, to God, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you, and this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. Then chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 But Moses said to the Lord, My Lord, I've never been able to speak well, not yesterday, not the day before, and certainly not now since you've been talking to your servant. I have a slow mouth and a thick tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives people the ability to speak? Who's responsible for making them unable to speak or hard of hearing, sighted or blind? Isn't it I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak and I'll teach you what you should say. But Moses said, Please, Lord, just send someone else. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. This morning, as I mentioned in the children's time, we're going to be starting just a a four-week sermon series looking at the gospel and culture uh, by using the the Disney movie Moana. Moana is one of the the more recent Disney films, although it's not that recent because it was from 2016. So really not that new, but new, although I got to look at it and, well, whatever, Um it's a bunch of random stuff. Uh, also, on August 14th, and I know we'll put the word out next week, if you want to wear your Hawaiian shirt, that's the last Sunday of this sermon series, and so we thought we'd have fun with that, but we'll have that in the bulletin and in the slide last week. Um, since it's not a new release, I may offer a few more spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. Uh, it's been around for a little while, but I want us to, to kind of think about how we can see like we've done in other sermon series and see and think about how uh, things in culture and in popular culture can help us to, to think about and also help us to connect with our faith. And so this morning I'm going to spend probably a little more time talking about the movie. Only to set the stage for the next three three weeks, but then we'll also take some time to to talk about our scripture, which we read in Exodus chapter 3. And so I'm going to begin um, by the movie focuses on a young woman named Moana. Uh, She's the only daughter of a Polynesian chief, and they live on an island, and as the only child, she's destined to be the next ruler. So it's a perfect Disney uh, princess movie, and in our first clip this morning, we're going to be watching Moana's grandmother... Uh, who's telling Moana as a child and other children from the, the island um, a story of their origin and of how things came to be. And so there's this island called Tafiti, and it uh, brings all the other islands into existence to create life. And as you'll see in a minute, um, the other beings desired this little stone, this little green stone that we used to have in a necklace somewhere. But I think we probably got rid of it a long time ago. Uh, Addison owned the heart of tefiti when she was much younger. Um, and so we had this heart, and there is this heart. And so these, these, everyone desired this heart because it gave power, power to create life, power to do all of these things. And so um, in the movie, this demigod, who's this um, character uh, named Maui, he's this large Polynesian character, he steals this heart. And as he tries to get away, um, he, another god confronts him in the water. He's struck. He's sent into the water. He loses this hook that he uses um, that gives him magic powers. And he also drops the heart of Tefiti into the ocean, and so it's lost. And so I'm going to let Katie advance the slide now, and we're going to watch the first video clip. And his magical fish hook and the heart of Tefiti
1: were lost to the sea. Where even now, a thousand years later, Tekkar and the demons of the deep still hunt for the heart, hiding in a darkness that will continue to spread, chasing away our fish, draining the life from island after island until every one of us is devoured by the bloodthirsty jaws of inescapable death! One day, the heart will be found by someone who will journey beyond our reef, find Maui, deliver him across the great ocean to restore Tefiti's heart and save us all. Oh,
0: oh. all right, so, Mana's grandmother continues by telling the children that since the heart is stolen, the darkness has spread across the water, and that someday the darkness of Tefiti would overcome everything, even the island that they lived on. And so the only way that it would be stopped was for someone to find this heart and to restore it or return it. And so as she grows, the movie shows Moana returning to the beaches of the island, looking out across the water, She finds the stone uh, as a young child, but she never knows what to do with it. And she's torn between this role of of what her father has told her she is according to to being the princess of the island, but then from also what she feels in her heart, which is to go out and and to set out on the ocean and and be drawn to the waves. And so eventually, as she grows, the island faces shortage, uh, a shortage. The fish are no longer abundant. The coconuts diminish. The harvests are diminishing. And so um, Moana looks outward with her grandmother, and her grandmother takes her to a hidden cave where these seafaring boats have been hidden. And when Moana asks why they're there, her grandmother tells her that the oceans had become so rough after the heart of Te Fiti was stolen that the people of the island stopped venturing out beyond the reefs because the reefs you know, caused the waves to stop and, and allowed for still water. And so as their island becomes less productive, um, her grandmother tells her she's the chosen one to, to return this heart. And she's kept the heart for this day. And so against uh, her parents' knowledge, Moana sets out across the ocean with Maui. Um, she tells Maui to get on the boat that he's going to restore the heart he tries to throw her off the boat she's thrown back on the boat uh, it's a good movie if you've never watched it um, eventually they they return to this island where they're able to return the heart of Tafiti, and the hearts return and the storm cease and life returns to the island Moana returns to her island and her parents realize they've been ignoring their their true um, story and their shared history, which we're going to talk about next week. And they begin journeying again. But this morning, um, I want us to see one. I mean, this movie is celebrated for its animation. It's realistic detail. If you Google any articles about it, um, some of the the interesting things that that people spend a lot of time on is, is how they use the ocean as a character and how lifelike the ocean looks with the shimmer of the water and other things. Also, the way that they honored the Polynesian culture and the beauty of the Polynesian islands. Musically, there's a lot of great songs. And finally, it's celebrated because this is a different type of princess movie from Disney. In this case, you know, she hears the call of her heart she chooses to go even as she faces opposition and discouragement, and, um, and so Moana goes. And so uh, here's the next video clip that actually I want to talk about that ties into the Scripture where Moana is, is questioning why she was chosen, and, and this is, so go ahead, Kate.:
1: Oh, mother, <laughs> Motunui is paradise. Who would want to go anywhere else? doing you scared me but I want to back. I know I know but you don't go out there it's dangerous uh, Moana come on hmm. let's go back to the village you are the next great chief of our people <laughs> and you'll do wondrous things my little minnow oh yes but first you must learn where you're meant to be
0: who's ready to go to the beach um <laughs> Alright, in our scripture this morning, there's, there's kind of a, a similar um, interaction. Moana, the clip we watched was obviously her being chosen, her being given this, this heart of Te Fiti. And then later in the movie, and we'll watch later clips where she questions um, the call that's been placed or the yearning that she feels on her heart or the thing that she feels happened. as she's torn between two things. You know, her dad very clearly saying, we don't go, to the, we don't go out there, it's dangerous. Your purpose, your plan, the reason you're supposed to be here is to be here on the island with your people and with us. And so um, this morning, it it makes me think, and and I think there's a similarity that we can look at in the Scripture from the book of Exodus that we've read this morning. It's from the Old Testament. In in Exodus 3, just a quick reminder, um, Moses is tending his father-in-law Jethro's flocks. And Jethro is a Midianite priest. Moses has been raised with Pharaoh. Moses was uh, one of the princes of Egypt. And uh, if you'll remember, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster uh, abusing a Hebrew slave. And so Moses went and struck him and killed him and hid him and and fled when others said, you know, when others um, challenged him, when he was challenging other Hebrews and saying, why are you treating each other this way? And they said, well, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And so if you'll remember, Moses flees to the wilderness. There he, he takes a wife and, and he is working for his father-in-law Jethro as a shepherd on the mountain called Horeb, which is in the edge of the wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula. We don't really know exactly where, where Horeb is, if I remember correctly, but uh, Moses is there and, and there he sees a burning bush. And the scripture tells us that the Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flame, but the bush didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning. So Moses sees the bush. He sees it's not burning, and so I don't really know how that works. There's no smoke or anything, but he decides he is going over there. And when the Lord saw that he is coming, God calls to him out of the bush. Now, if you'll remember, he says, Moses, stop, remove your sandals, for the ground that you're standing on is holy. And then God continued by telling Moses that I've heard the cry of my people, the Israelites. The Israelites. I've heard the pain that they, they, they are in. I've heard of their enslavement. I've heard of their suffering. And I've heard their call. And so I'm sending you to deliver them. Now, Moses' answer, I think, is one that, that probably a lot of, of us have, have experienced ourselves or thought of ourselves is when God maybe calls us, we sometimes say, Who me? Who me? So Moses says, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And that's similar to our movie. When Moana is asked and told, you're the one that's to go. Who am I for Moses? He was the former prince of Egypt. He is the one who had fled when, when it was learned that, that he had killed an Egyptian taskmaster. When, when Pharaoh found out that Moses had done that, he actually was, was sending his soldiers to, to take Moses and to, to capture him. Who am I was the question to Moses when he realized the words that, that God was giving him. When God was telling him, don't just go and do what I'm asking you to do, but go to the place that I know that you have fled. The place that I know you left as fast as possible. The place that I know you felt challenged and you knew that that things could happen that would be beyond your control. God was asking for Moses to return to, to the Pharaoh that he had known through his childhood. And so Moses is saying, who am I? Who am I to be the one that has really chosen to speak for you? To go for you, God. To lead for you. And to even stand before Pharaoh for you. See, if you read in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus 4, not once does Moses try to get out of this situation, but twice. Does he try to get out of this call That God hasn't just placed on his life, but a call that God has, has spoken directly to him. When God says, I want you to go. Both times that Moses tries to get out of it, he's standing there before the burning bush and he's speaking to God. The first time he says, You know, who am I? Who am I to be the one to do these things? And then the second time, he uses a different trick or tact or, or a different approach. By Moses says, you know, God, I have a slow mouth. I have a thick tongue. So what is he saying? He's saying, basically, I'm not the one that's chosen. I can't speak eloquently. I can't put the words together in such a way that Pharaoh is going to be convinced or Pharaoh is going to listen or to hear what I'm saying or even to hear the message that you've placed on my heart. But what does God say to both excuses? God doesn't settle, does he? In both cases, he tells them, you're going to go, and I'm going to put the words in your mouth, and you're going to trust me. And God says this all because Moses says, who am I? See, I don't know about you, but I know this is a question that all of us have asked God. Is who am I? Maybe when it comes to being asked to lead or when it comes to, to being asked to teach or, or who am I to serve in your name or who am I not just to feel the call that you've placed on my heart but, but also to respond to the call that you've placed on my heart. I even think we can say who am I God to, to accept the forgiveness that you've offered to me because I've done so much because I've, I've strayed so far. But see, friends, God has told us just as God told Moses. When he says, who am I, you are mine. Because Moses wasn't the only one in the Bible who asked this question of God when he was called. Moses certainly wasn't the first one. He certainly was not the last one. You know, for some, it took them um, a proof of a flint of a fleece being drenched with dew overnight, and then the next day, the same fleece being kept completely dry while the ground around it was saturated. For others, it was denying what was happening, or saying that um, or what had happened would not happen out of fear. But really, this is a question for each of us. And I think that the wonder of this question and the beauty of this question is that God invites us and encourages us to ask it all the time. See, there's nothing wrong with us saying, who am I to God? Who am I to you? Who am I in the way that I serve you and in the way that I follow you and in the way that I worship you? Who am I? Because, friends, as we can answer that question and who I am before God, then we can answer that question and we can respond to the call that God has placed on our life. Because God even says, who am I, or responds or answers, who am I in saying that I've, in, in, if I've chosen you, even as you need forgiveness, even as you need grace, even as you are far from the person that you're created to be, God answers that question for each of us. And he does it by saying, you are mine. You are mine in accepting and receiving the forgiveness that God has offered. You are mine in in responding to to whatever it is that I've placed before you on your heart. Because God sees beyond our worldly qualities. God sees the, the goodness and the greatness that he's placed in each of us. And whenever we say, Who am I to you? God says, You are mine, and that's all I need. See, Moses said to God, Who am I? And what did God say to him? God said, You're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to trust me, and you're going to allow me to put the words that Pharaoh needs to hear into your heart so that you can speak them. When we say, You are mine to God, God says, When we say, who am I to God, God says you are mine. As a person who's forgiven, as a person who is going to be used in the church and in the community, in the way that we serve and in the way that we live and in the way that we pursue faith. And when we say, "Who who am I? God says I can use even those that feel unqualified to accomplish His will, and He does all of this. He does it all so that we might grow and so that he might be glorified. See, friends, if there's something that that I see in, in Moses' call today, it's that it's perfectly normal for us to question and to ask God where I'm at and what God is doing in our life when we feel the call that he has placed on our hearts. Because it's nothing that's too great for God. It doesn't cause God to step back and go, well, maybe you're not the one. Because if God did that in the Bible, think of all the people that he wouldn't have used. I mean, off the top of my head, it's Moses, it's Gideon, it's David, it's Peter, it's... um, I don't even know who else. Ruth, Esther, Abraham, Sarah really everyone in the Bible that we read about and that we think about. Because we all have that question of asking God who we are in his eyes. And to all of us, because of Jesus, we are able to know that we are his because he says, you are mine. You are forgiven. You are changed. You are equipped and enabled And without Him, we would not learn to grow, and we would not learn to depend on each other, and we would not learn to be the Christian community that He wants us to be. So hear the question, who am I? But even more importantly, hear the answer, because God says you are mine. Amen.